Welcome to the University of the Gods podcast. This lesson is how to take control of who and what you are, what it means to be a god. Welcome to the University of the Gods. We are thrilled you decided to join us. This lesson is entitled How to Take Control of Who and What You Are, What It Means to Be a God. This lesson is dedicated to a good friend of mine. Her name roughly translates as Beautiful Coral. When I first recorded this podcast, I used her Chinese name because it's pretty, but when she heard it, she's very shy and very unhappy, and because I respect her, I've changed it to this. So, this lesson is dedicated to Beautiful Coral. When I first met her, I could tell right away that she was a remarkable person. She had depth and a strength and an uncommon thoughtfulness that I found wonderfully refreshing and inspiring. The problem is that she didn't know that she was one of the great ones. She was living far beneath her talents, intellect, and strength. It made me want to just reach over and grab her by the shoulders and shake her. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You are one of the great ones. You're really, really great. I wanted to be like a shoulder angel for her and just kind of perch there, you know. And every time she dreamed small, I could just like kick her to come back to life again. But since that's not practical, my solution is to make a podcast for her and for everyone like her that she can listen to anytime she wants to remember who and what she is. This is for her and for you. I want to start this lesson by telling a story. One of my all-time favorite teaching gigs is in uh, an ESL appointment in Taiwan. Now, this particular school was a high school vocational school hybrid, which means in real life that it's a catch-all school for students whose test scores didn't qualify them to get into a better school. And within a couple of weeks of being hired, I got an earful about the students and the kind of kids they were lazy, they don't care, they don't like to learn, they're not very bright, they don't come from good backgrounds. And this came from everywhere. The community would say so, the other teachers would say so, even the students would sit me down and explain to me that I shouldn't expect anything of them because they just aren't the type to do well in school. I even had an administrator tell me once that the best we can hope for is that they graduate and get a job in factory work or a small shop doing menial labor, something like this. And my immediate instinct, of course, was to argue with them. There are no small people. There are no, I don't know, stupid people. Well, what I'm trying to say is that I didn't agree. You know, but when I would try to argue, the people I was talking to, they'd smile at me with that patient Oh, aren't you cute with your foreign self? You're so idealistic, smile, you know, and then they go and do other things. The conditions at the school also seemed to match what the students said or what the people said about the students. Like everything was broken, broken desks, broken equipment. The air conditioners were broken. And, you know, this is a tropical island. The air conditioning is important. There was extensive corruption. I mean, it was very clear that the students' tuition was going to the people in tall offices instead of being reinvested into education. And the greatest value of any student was basically their ability to pay tuition and make money for other people. Now, why does this matter? Like, why am I telling, you know, this part of the story? Because labels lead to lifestyles. We will talk about that a little more in a minute, but let's take a moment to extrapolate, you know, the future of my students. A child who is told by all of the adults in his life that he isn't worth very much and that he shouldn't expect too much from life because he's just not the kind who will be successful. And then he adop adopts that philosophy and lives it. 
What kind of life will he have after graduation? A student who sees that she's basically a paycheck for a guy in an office, what kind of future will she have? What kind of beliefs or brain programming is running? What kind of life will that create for her? And I had this thing where I would um, go down the streets and I would see some of the older people. And I would kind of think about now, how did they get to this point? Um, and, and some of them were successful. They were owning shops. They were bright, happy people. And some of them were, you know, riding down the street shirtless on a bike, chewing Taiwan's version of cha called bean lang. And, and I would just think about, okay, what events would or could lead to, you know, the, the variety of people that we'd see on the street. And I say Taiwan because that's where I am, but let's be real here. This is a pattern for everywhere, 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 everywhere. You can find the exact same people in America. Um, now, returning back to the school, the way the school is structured, the students are divided by major. So instead of going to different classes like students in America do, um, they stay in the same classroom with the same classmates. And then the teachers, we come to them. Now, an unintended consequence of this structure was that my classes were often divided by gender. So I would teach my automotive majors, and I was basically walking into a classroom of 50 teenage guys. Now, the energy was amazing. They are so alive and so playful. You know, something about me is that I've lived my life backwards. Like I was born old, and then I've kind of gotten younger as time has gone by, which means by the time I ended up in their classroom, I was almost an exact match for them. My personality is also very playful, so I totally got it. I mean, toss shoes across the room and then hide them and laugh while a classmate runs around beating people to try to find it. I mean, that's good times right there, you know? And I would leave the class recharged instead of drained. I loved these classes. You know, when I first started them, I was scared out of my mind, but after like a few minutes, it just, oh, it was my favorite, one of my absolute favorites. It was really great. And my students, they were sweethearts too. I remember one day I walked into a classroom in the afternoon, and this was in the summer. The air conditioner was broken, broken, sorry, and it was hot and humid, and I was hit with this wall of stench. You know, just 50 guys in a room, stench. And I started crying, like I couldn't help it. It was just a physical response. My eyes watered. <laughs> wow, guys, yikes, this is not okay. I can't breathe. I need to go out for a minute. We need to talk about, you know, personal hygiene when I come back. We, Oh, wow. Um, well, which, of course, was met with riotous laughter. You know, for those of you old enough to remember The Muppet Show, it was like Statler and Waldorf, Waldorf, you know, the two old guys in the critics box who would laugh at how bad everything was on steroids. I mean, my guys, they reminded me that of that so much. They thought it was hilarious. And then they'd be like, how shango, you know, which is little brother for it smells great. Oh, students. But here's the thing, the next week when I came to class, they had shellacked the entire front of the room with some kind of man deodorant. So now instead of crying because of the teenage boy sweat smell, I was crying because of this liberally <laughs> pungent body spray. I, I'm not sure what it was, but it was amazing. I, but their intention, I mean, they're sweethearts, absolute sweethearts, and I love them. When I teach, I believe very much in going with nature instead of against it. You know, for this reason, I would teach um, 
each of my classes like I was running a game show. Like I figure if I'm ridiculously entertaining, they'll actually want to look at me and pay attention in class. You know, and maybe they learn something too. You know, for example, I'd troll up and down the rows and I'd be like, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, okay, what's next? And the people behind them, <laughs> behind my student, they'd be like, Friday, it's Friday. And the poor kid, if he listened to them and said Friday, I'd be like, no. <laughs> and the class would laugh at him and then make him stand up. We'd make him stand up and do the chicken dance in front of everybody. I'd do it with him so he wasn't alone, you know, while we all laughed at him. And then we'd move on to the next kid, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You know, pretty soon everyone, even the mistakenly labeled slow kids, knew the days of the week all of them in order. So one day, I don't remember what our activity was, but I completely lost control of the class. And we're not talking just a little bit. I mean, there were guys jumping over desks, things flying across the air. I think there was a pile of guys in the back fighting or gambling or writhing around. I don't know what they were doing. You know, one kid at his desk fiercely doing homework for another class um, another was killing monsters on his phone, you know, and of course I tried to restore order. Okay, guys, I'm Jin An Jin An Jin Zohao, which is Chinese for hush y'all and sit. But none of that worked. It was like I was invisible. I leaned against the blackboard and I just, you know, started pounding out ideas. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What is going to work here? You know, shouting at them wasn't working. I could run around and tell each of them to sit down, but as soon as I leave, they'd be gone again. And as I stared at them, this really cool thing happened. You know, my perception or my reality changed. I went from, what am I going to do? You know, because I really want to be a great teacher. And this was not in line with that. To, what am I really looking at? Because the origin of effective teaching is the ability to fuse the nature of the students with the learning activity. Like, you could have the best program in the world, but if nobody wants to do it, your curriculum is useless. And I knew that, so I just I needed to think. And, and these are not bad kids. I mean, sure, they're high-spirited, uh, but alive is much easier to work with than lifeless. And that's, that's really true, especially for me as a teacher. I, I, I enjoy a little bit of noise in my class and, and responsiveness. You know, and they're not disrespectful. Like, like I know that I was looking at chaos, but it's not that they hate me and they were doing it out of spite. They were just rowdy. You know, and despite what people say about them and what they say about themselves, they're not stupid. Like all of the things that I described to you, the, the body spray and the, you know, the tricking their classmates. I mean, you have to know the days of the week to know it's not Friday. Um... I mean, if anything, they were more clever and creative than some of my college track kids. Like, I had one kid use his cell phone to hack the TV projector and shut down my class. Like, I queued up the PPT, and I queued up the listening assignments from their book, and I was ready to go just at the moment when I pressed play. Everything shut down, and the class tried not to laugh. Like, you could hear just kind of this... <clears throat> I don't know if the recording will pick that up, which means that I knew that somebody had done it, you know, so someone gave it away. But uh, clever, very clever. I had an entire class uh, work together to hide a giant gallon canister of rubber bands from me, you know, and they used some kind of mental telepathy to move it around the room so I couldn't find it. And I didn't know until poof, it reappeared at the end of my class. And I begged them to tell me how they did it. You know, and don't even get me started on the pranks they play with each other, each of which was more clever than the last and artfully deployed. I'm a bit of a prank aficionado myself, so I'm telling you that some of them were high quality. 
my students aren't stupid. They're not slow. If anything, they, some of them just border on genius. It's just not the kind of genius that makes them sit down and do work in their book. If anything, it's the kind of genius where they can avoid doing work in their book and they don't understand the future that's creating for them. And, and I was, I was, oh, sorry. And as I was looking at them, my eyes changed and I realized that my students aren't just people. I mean, what does all of that behavior have in common? It's more like they're baby gods playing with power. I mean, what happens if I punch my classmate? Or what happens if I take my desk apart and put it back together again? Or what happens if I tell a dirty joke? And it's like their entire objective was to gain more power, more comfort for themselves, and to minimize unwanted problems. And the thing that I love most about being in a classroom is that it's a microcosm of society. So whatever happens small scale in my class, I can find in an office or a public square or internet communities. I mean, the dressings may change, but the patterns are exactly the same. People are this amazing dual creature where half of them uh, they hold in common with all other people, and the other half is completely and totally unique. When the two parts work in harmony with each other, a person has unlimited power. And we'll cover that at length in an upcoming lesson. But for now, I want to focus on the part that's universal, the part that we all have in common. We all have a shared nature, that of godhood. Now, as I began to appreciate this in regards to my students, the bell rang and they all disappeared. But I kept thinking, I need to start designing lessons that make them feel powerful. I need to find a way to communicate to them that they are limitless. You know, and I love and adore my students. And over and over again, my mommy instinct would be tripped off badly. And I wish that I could do more for them. Like, I wish that I could just take them and, I don't know, take them to a better school or put them in my own little classroom and see them every day and over and over say to them, you're not stupid, you are limitless. You're not a loser. You are creative. You are not worthless. You are everything. You're limitless. You can do it. You know, but I, I want to say to them that what they does matters. So always do good things. And what they believe matters to only choose beliefs that create them into a greater and greater person. If I could do this, I just know I could change their future. I would unbrainwash them and restore them to them their ability to think and choose for themselves to dream big and do big things and to put all of that amazing energy towards construction instead of self-destruction, you know, towards creation. But I had a thousand students. I taught 20 classes of 50 students each, and it was in a language they couldn't understand. And I saw them for one hour a week. What can I do? And I mean, it was it was actually then that I started dreaming of putting myself into their cell phones. I mean, they've they've all seen the Marvel movies. They've all seen Harry Potter. They've all seen if I could be in their phone. I would have more influence and they would have more access to, you know, you are great. And so I started really thinking of, OK, how do I reach them? And that's that's actually when the University of the Gods um, what first went into design phase, you know, and, and I figure if I can do it, I could tell them every day that they are awesome, you know, until they believe it for themselves. 
Now, I want to return to, um, to this concept, and I really want you to get it. There's a relationship between the label you give yourself and your future. There's a relationship between who you feel you are and your current life situation. Okay, one more story, and then I will put all of this together. Um, I read an article about a student who got a perfect score on his SAT. He was just an average student, so when the scores came back, everyone was so surprised. They thought he must have been some kind of closeted genius. You know, he was showered with praise. They, uh, he was scouted by colleges. His teachers gave him more attention. And then a woman did a study on perfect SAT scores and discovered that there was a computer glitch on the day that the perfect scores were issued, meaning the scores were inaccurate. You know, and this all happened back in the day when the computers uh, was scanning in bubble sheets. We called them Scantron sheets instead of having the kind of test where people take them online like we do today. You know, and I sure by now you know where I'm going with this. The student with the perfect score grew smart, you know, due to the placebo effect and everyone around him calling him smart and the knowledge that he got a perfect score, you know, and the scholarships and the opportunities afforded to him helped him to grow into his new label. Um... Now, labels change lives, right? Labels make lifestyles. I don't know the end of the story. And I assume somebody told him all those years later that he didn't actually get the score. I can't imagine people not telling him because I know that's kind of how life is. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping by then it would have been too late. And I hope that he just kind of looks around and says, well, there must have been something to me because I'm here. And... Students, if you think you're terrible at school, like my students were conditioned to believe, you're going to be terrible. If you think you're smart like the SAT student, you're much more like, likely to live like a smart person. The problem, and this is a very, very big problem and reality that many people face, is that we label ourselves based on our relationships to other people. Go ahead. Let that, let that set in for a second. We label ourselves based on our relationships to other people. And sure, we tell people they can be whatever they want, that they decide. But when it comes to our reality, people label themselves on the way other people treat them. I must be beautiful because people treat me like I'm beautiful. I must be worthless because people treat me like I'm worthless. I must be popular because people like me. And how would you know otherwise? I mean, you don't just decide to be one way and then have other people's behavior towards you match. Some loser who doesn't do anything in school and hates school can't just wake up one morning and decide to be a brainiac and then expect everyone to treat him like a brainiac. That's not how it works. I mean, it's possible with sheer grit, like people clawing their way out of addiction, a person can insist that they are new and different and provide all the evidence of that difference and with dogged tenacity stick to it. And in time, people will start to take the change seriously and the world around them will change to reflect who they've become. It is possible, but profoundly difficult. And incidentally, for those of you going through an identity shift right now, the more complete your change, meaning the more sincere, authentic, integrated you are, and the more you mean it, the faster people will update their perceptions about you and subsequent behaviors. For those of you wishing to change, the way out is to change your eyes. Everyone's life has everything in it. You become what you look at and focus on. If you're one of those, I must be worthless because treat, people treat me like I'm worthless types, move your eyes to I must be useful because people treat me like I'm valuable. You see what you look at. So look for the good 
and refuse to give up. Looking for the good is a skill that takes a moment if you're new. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't work for you at first. Just be loyal to it. People look to their outside to define and change their inside instead of using their inside to change their outside. But this basically means that if you want a better outside, you need a better inside. You need to surround yourself with people who will help you change your labels to be better. And that's one of the objectives of the University of the Gods. Every person on the planet is a baby god, and I will even say a child of God. I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to freak out because somebody on the internet is going to be offended on behalf of somebody else on the internet because I used the word God or because I said that you are a child of God. It's just our reality. It is our nature. And as such, it needs to be respected. And if you can't see it yet, that's okay. Stick with us. I made these podcasts so that you can listen over and over and over again to someone tell you that you're limitless, that you're truly great. I can be the one to help you update your labels. If there's nobody else in your life to look to, you look to this. Look to the University of the Gods. Listen and believe that you are great. If you come to the University of the Gods, we will treat you like you are a child of God, a real one, and therefore a demigod yourself. You are limitless. You are a creator. You are much more powerful than you know. There is nothing you can't do. And if you listen to us long enough, you will start to realize that it's the truth. And here, I want to be clear. I'm not talking my truth, you know, and you got to live your truth, not this definition of truth. Here, the term truth is defined as an accurate representation of the nature of a person or situation. Now, I want to end with a few methods. I really love results and I want, I want you to be able to walk away with something that you can try or something that you can do, you know, an instant win or an achievement or that kick of, wow, that's great. So let's try this. Take control of your labels. Do an inventory of all the things that you call yourself and all of the things you believe about yourself and then extrapolate them into the future. What kind of world has that label created for you? What kind of future will you have if you continue to live this label? Keep the labels that build for you a life of increasing power and freedom and do whatever it takes to overcome the ones that are holding you down. And also, take stock of the labels other people give you. Accept the ones that are constructive and reject the ones that limit you or that restrict you. And if you have people in your life that are not letting you grow or that insist on keeping you in a place that is not powerful, you might need to reevaluate some of those relationships and, and look towards a better crowd of people. And if you are one of those people who label others in a way that hurts them or boxes them in or doesn't allow them to grow, no matter how accurate you may feel that label is, Please consider the kind of world that you are perhaps creating for the other person and stop it. Find a way to be a lifting influence instead of a confining one. What it means to be a God is first and foremost creation. You are a creator. You've created your life. If you're an adult, you've created your own body to be what it currently is. Your body molds itself, you know, after what you ask of it. You create worlds. 
You've created your own little world that you live in. You've partnered with other gods to create the world of your home, the world in your workplace, countless other worlds. Each relationship is itself a world made out of you and whoever the other person is. And some of those worlds are amazing and some of them need a little bit of refinement. Take control of creation. We will talk at length about how to create a life of design as opposed to defaults, for, but for now, awareness is enough to get you started on the path of conscientious creation. I also want to end this lesson with a homework assignment, um, but this, this is for those of you who are advanced enough to do meditations. You know, and for those of you who aren't, it's okay. Um, just listening to the assignment might be able to give you enough to, to get started. Um, and I'll teach you in the subsequent lessons how to do meditations and make them work for you. But for now, you know, just observe. Now for the rest of you, find a quiet place and do the breathing or the rituals that you do to put yourself into a meditative, um, a meditative state. And then take a moment to do the brain work necessary to put on a new identity. I'm gonna make a meditation lab um, and do guided meditations in, in the future. Uh, for now, we're, we're still in the construction phase of the University of the Gods and getting these things online. Um, so, so for now, this is going to have to be a little bit more, more self-guided. Uh, but, but take a moment and construct this identity and, and just put it on. You are now a benevolent god. You're very young, so you don't know everything yet. But the part of you that's made of light and the substance of the gods is intact. Now, in this mental uh, meditative headspace, go ahead and visualize and go through your day. How does a God wake up in the morning? See it. How does a God care for his or her body? How does a God interact with others? How does a God, you as a God, spend your time? See each of these things. Go through your day before you live it. And, and ask yourself these questions. Visualize yourself going through your day now that you are a God. And create the day in your meditation before living it in the physical world. And then when you feel strong enough to keep it, rise up without dropping the identity and then go out and live what you just created. This does two things. One, it starts to help you develop the skill of creating something before doing it so that you're no longer being, you know, blown about by other people's choices and circumstances that come. You start to build the skill of I can plan, I can do what I plan, I can create something and then make it come to pass in real life. And that's that's a valuable skill. And then another skill that it gives you is the ability to have um, control over your own brain programming and over your own identity. So if you can induce the new identity and keep it, go through your day. How does the God meet the unexpected? And you do that. Now, if you can induce the new identity, but you can't keep it, then I would suggest try, and wear, try wearing something different or setting timers on your phone or some kind of reminder so that every time you look at your shoes or every time your cell phone makes a certain noise, you can, you know, reset and be like, yes, today I'm a God and, and put it back on so that you can keep it and be loyal to it. 
Don't you believe the people around you, around you who treat you like you're less than a god? Be kind, be wise, and be graceful. If you have a job, do it well, like a god. And if you have a family, care for them well, like a god. And if you encounter something unexpected, handle it well, like a god. Now, next time we're going to continue the lesson on godhood by taking, sorry, by talking about um, how to get what you want and avoiding what you don't want, you know, living a life by design. So we will discuss, we will continue this discussion and we invite you to join us and hope to see you there or hope to see you next time or hope. To, I don't, I'm still figuring out the whole digital media thing. It's really hard for me to move from a classroom. Okay. I hope to see you next time. I'm probably not going to see you. So you could just push play. Sorry, I shouldn't get lost. Tangent. All right. Now, with all of my students in my classes, I have a tradition of ending the class by telling my students, since I'm in Taiwan, I tell them in Chinese. So I just tell them that I love them, which is I um, love you, plural. And then here they have a way of announcing the classes over. They just say shaka, uh, which in English basically translates to dismissed, you know, the way the captains use it in Star Trek dismissed okay thank you captain and then they go and do useful things i will carry that tradition into my podcast so students i'm in shaka